Good morning. If you have your Bible with you, I'd like you to join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. One of the beauties of doing expository preaching, which we're committed to here, working through a book verse by verse, is number one, you don't skip anything. And number two, you get to see Scripture in its context. And really, chapters 12 to 14 form a unit. Sometimes we lose sight of that because chapter 13 is so beautiful that we lose sight of the fact that it's actually part of a unit, chapters 12 through 14. And when we were in chapter 12, we defined all of the gifts listed there. In fact, we defined all of the gifts mentioned in Scripture except for two. And those two were the gift of tongues and the gift of the interpretation of tongues. Now, I was not avoiding those two. I was not skirting by those two when we did not define those in chapter 12, but rather I was waiting until we got here to chapter 14, because in chapter 14, the gift of tongues is mentioned, if I count right, 14 times in this chapter. You see, in in Corinth, tongues had created some controversy. And I think we can relate to that today because it's a controversial gift in the church today. Back in Corinth, they were using and they were misusing and they were abusing the gift of tongues. They elevated this gift to a status that God never intended for it to have. It was the dominant gift. It was the gift to have. It was the end gift that everybody Wanted. It was the showy, ecstatic gift. And those who had it were using it in a selfish manner and using it in a way that God never intended for it to be used. And so Paul writes this 14th chapter to deal with that issue. And this is a current issue. They needed to hear this in Corinth in the first century, and we need to hear this today as well. And in this chapter, Paul is going to answer three questions that people are still asking today. Those three questions are, number one, Paul, how would you rate the gift of tongues in relation to other gifts? Number two, what is the purpose of the gift of tongues? And number three, what are the guidelines for its use? How would you rate the gift of tongues? He answers that in verses 1 to 19 by telling us that it is a secondary gift. What's its purpose? He answers that in verses 20 to 25 by telling us that it is a sign to unbelieving Israel. And what are the guidelines for its use? He answers that in verses 26 to 33 where he tells us that it is to be used properly and in order. Now, this morning, we're going to look at the first 19 verses and see how Paul rates the gift of tongues. But before we do that, let me help define what this gift is. The word tongues is the Greek word glossa. It's used sometimes for the tongue in your mouth. It's used that way in verse 9 of chapter 14. He says, so also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech. The literal muscle in your mouth is referred to as glossa, a tongue. 
But this word is also used and more commonly used of languages. It's the common Greek word in that day for language, which would help clarify what this gift means if we would, rather than call it the gift of tongues, if we would call it the gift of languages. This is a gift. Let me define it for you. It is the supernatural ability, the God-given ability to speak a language you never learned. And it's clear what it is if we go back to the first use of this gift. Go back to Acts chapter 2 with me this morning. We'll do a little history lesson. Acts chapter 2. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, that's the word glossa, began to speak with other tongues languages as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, some people, when they talk about tongues, say that tongues is some kind of babble or that tongues is a heavenly language. Well, here we see that it's the word languages. They were speaking with other languages, which is the common word for foreign languages. And we see in the context that it's not babble. It's not a heavenly language. If you look at verse 5, It says, now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is is it that we hear them in our own language in which we were born? They say, these guys speaking are Galileans. Now, you have to understand that's a derogatory term for Jewish people. People around Jerusalem looked at the people from Galilee as hillbillies, hicks. It would be like saying, he's from the boot heel. So they would say, these guys are Galileans. They can barely speak one language. How are they speaking the language that we grew up with. And so it wasn't Babel. It wasn't a private prayer language. It wasn't some ecstatic, unknown, unknowable language. This is a gift of God-given ability to speak in a known language which the speaker has never learned. Now, I've heard some people argue, well, it was languages in Acts chapter 2, but later it changed, and it became unknown speech. Well, if you're going to take that position, you're not going to be able to support that from Scripture. Because we read what we just read in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 10, Peter went to the Gentiles, and they spoke in other languages. And Peter says in Acts eleven seventeen that God gave them the same gift that he gave us at the beginning. The same phenomenon that happened in Acts 2 happened again in Acts chapter 10 with no change. The gift of speaking in languages is speaking in languages, known languages. 
And I think that's enhanced further by the fact that the gift associated with it in chapter 12, verse 10, is called the interpretation of tongues. The word interpretation is the common Greek word for translation. It's the ability to take something from one language and bring it over into another language. Now, I think some people have a difficulty with this, partly because if you have a King James Bible, unfortunately, the King James Bible in verse 2, 4, 13, 14, 19, and 27 says this is an unknown tongue. But if you look at that phrase in your King James Bible, unknown is in italics. Anytime a word is in italics in your English Bible, it means the translators decided they would help you by putting that word in there. It's not really in the original text. So in this case, I would take my pen and carefully scratch out unknown because it's not an unknown language. It's a known language. In fact, back in chapter 12 and verse 10 and also in verse 28 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he uses this phrase, kinds of tongues or kinds of languages. The word kinds means, is a Greek word genos. It means classes or families or groups. How could you have kinds of Babel? He's talking about known languages, languages that exist on the earth, and there are categories, there are families of languages. And so the gift of tongues is a supernatural ability to speak a language that I've never learned. You say, well, why would you need a gift like that? Well, I'll answer that next week. This morning, we're going to look at verses 1 to 19, and we're going to hear the answer to the question, how would you rate the gift of tongues? Notice verse 1. It kind of sets the stage. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, I want to be sure that you tie these chapters together. Back in chapter 12, Paul reminded us that we are the body of Christ. As the body of Christ, we have unity and we have diversity. We are one body, but we have many members. And he closed chapter 12 and verse 31 by telling us, to earnestly desire the greater gifts. And then he says, and yet I show you a still more excellent way. And what is the more excellent way? Chapter 13 talks about love. And he tells us there that gifts without love makes us nothing. Gifts are passing, love is permanent. Gifts are partial, love is complete. Gifts are designed for infancy. Love is the expression of maturity. And so as we come to chapter 14, Paul says, pursue love, follow after love, make love your goal, but don't disregard gifts because gifts are designed to build us up in love. In fact, he says in chapter 14, verse 1, earnestly desire them. Same phrase he used at the end of chapter 12. And so if you want to really understand this, you look at chapter 13 as a parenthesis, and you read chapter 12, and you jump from the last 
verse of chapter 12 to the first verse of chapter 14 to see the continuity of where he's going. Earnestly desire, he says, the greater gifts at the end of chapter 12 and then chapter 14, verse 1, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. What's that tell us? Prophecy is one of the greater gifts. Earnestly desire the greater gifts. Earnestly desire prophecy. And if you don't get it there, you're going to get it when we get to chapter 5 of verse 14, or chapter 14, because right in the middle he says, greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues. So Paul says, if I'm going to rate prophecy, it's one of the greater gifts. You say, well, Paul, how do you rate tongues? He rates tongues as one of the lesser gifts. You say, well, why is tongues a lesser gift? He gives us three reasons in verses 1 to 19. I've listed them in your bulletin. Number one, tongues cannot edify others in verses 2 to 5. Look at verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands. Now, if I came up there this morning and spoke to you in Arabic, how many of you would understand what I was saying? I think it's safe to say none of you. If I, was, if I had the gift of tongues and I spoke in Arabic, the only one who would understand what I was saying is God. In fact, it tells us something about the gift of tongues here because it says, I wouldn't even understand what I'm saying. So not only is the gift of tongues the ability to speak in a language I've never learned, even when I say the language, I don't understand it as I'm communicating. And that's implied in the last phrase in verse 2. It says, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. If I spoke in the gift of tongues... I would communicate in a foreign language, and it would be a mystery to me as I was speaking it. That's clarified also down in verse 14 of our chapter. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So tongues isn't even able to communicate to you or to me. The only one who understands it is God. In contrast to that, what about prophecy? Look at verse 3. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. We said that prophecy is the gift of foretelling or forthtelling the truth of God. It's the gift to take God's word and to apply it to people's lives. It's that God-given ability to proclaim God's truth in such a way that I see things through God's eyes. It communicates clearly, and he says here, it edifies, builds up. It exhorts, corrects you. It consoles, it comforts you. So as the prophet speaks, as a person proclaims the word of God with the gift of prophecy, it's able to build you up. It's able to beat you down where you need to be beaten down in correction and then able to comfort you so that you're able to be built up. 
you ever listen to a preacher and you sit there and you say, you know what? That message was just for me. That's the gift of prophecy. God takes that and communicates it to us and challenges us and comforts us and builds us up. So tongues doesn't communicate to anybody but God. In contrast, prophecy communicates to everyone. And then look at verse 4. And I might say, as we go through these verses, they're really very simple. I don't have a whole lot to explain because once you see what he's trying to do here, it's very obvious. Verse 4, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. The only one who can possibly be built up by the gift of tongues is the speaker. But he's not built up because he understands, because I don't even understand what I'm saying. I'm built up because God is using me. God is working through my spirit. In my spirit, I'm praising God. So I am built up in that sense. But the only one that gets edified is me. And then in contrast to that, the rest of verse 4 says, but one who prophesies edifies the church. When I stand up and proclaim the word of God, the word of God has the power to build up the body of Christ. And then look at verse 5. He says, now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Now, a lot of times people take this phrase out of context. See, Paul says, everybody ought to speak in tongues. You know, it's interesting. If you go back to chapter 7 and verse 7, Paul says, I wish you were all single. Does he really mean that? We'd have no Christian kids, no little kids raised in Christian homes. I wish you were all single, but then he qualifies it and says, but some have the gift of being single, and some have the gift of of being married. He's not saying here that everybody in the church ought to have this gift because he clearly said in chapter 12 and verse 30 that we don't all speak in tongues. If we did all speak in tongues, the church would be one big tongue. So what's he saying here? He's downplayed the gift of tongues. He said it's a lesser gift compared to prophecy, but I don't want to disregard the gift. I don't want to throw the gift out. He speaks of it well. He says, I wish you all spoke in tongues. Later, at the end of this chapter, he beats up tongues so much that he says, I don't want you to prohibit people from speaking in tongues. He's just trying to show us that it's a lesser gift in God's usefulness in the body of Christ. And then look at verse 5 again. You see that as he continues. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues. Prophecy is the greater gift. Tongues is the lesser gift. Because the purpose of gifts is to build up the church. Prophecy does that. Tongues cannot do that. And then he qualifies it at the end of verse 5. He says, unless he interprets so that, that the church may receive edifying. If I stood up here today and spoke in Arabic, Arabic, I can't even pronounce the word. Arabic, is that right? Arabic, I'm sorry. Didn't sound right. Sometimes I say things, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't have a gift for that. If I spoke in Arabic, 
And we had a translator who took what I said and translated it into English. Then it could build up the church. And that's his point. If you have the gift of tongues, you need this gift of interpretation in order to make it an effective tool in the church. When I was in Africa several years ago, I spoke on a beach on a lake in an island where they had probably never heard the gospel before. It's a unique opportunity. And I, the people just gathered around probably to see this white guy that showed up there. It was, but, but it was an interesting experience. In fact, the, the missionary I was with said some of these people have never even seen a white person before. So it was, a, it was virgin territory. And I got to preach to this group of people. I preached in English. They had a translator there who translated what I said into Swahili. And there were several people who got saved that day, who came to, to, to faith in Jesus Christ. But you see, that's an awkward way to have to deliver a message. I would talk and then wait while this guy would probably improve what I was saying and switch it over into Swahili. In fact, they told me later that some of my illustrations didn't even work there, so the guy was kind of... Uh, editing as he went. I was probably talking about Wendy's. You know, I will go to Wendy's. You guys go to Wendy's? But that's a long way to go to get to edification. And his point is, on its own, this gift of tongues cannot edify. Second reason it's a lesser gift is because tongues are unintelligible. Look at verse 6. And this is in verses uh, 6 down to verse 12. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Paul says, if I come to you and speak with the gift of tongues, speak in a foreign language that you don't understand, what profit is it? What are you going to get out of that? Hutos gar agapasin ho theos ton kosmon haste ton huyan tu monogena etikin hinapas ho pist that was a profound statement because I just quoted John 3.16 in Greek, but I'm sure you were not edified by that. And that's what Paul's saying. If I come to you and I speak a great message but it's not in your language, then what profit is it? It's not any profit. He says, unless I also come and speak to you by revelation or knowledge or prophesying or doctrine. Tongues by itself is no profit unless I also bring along another gift that is able to edify because tongues are unintelligible. And then he gives us an example of that in verse 7. Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or the harp? 
A harp or a flute has to be played using a distinction of tones in order for the song to be communicated. Verse 8, For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? Give me a bugle and put me in an army post, and I guarantee you that they won't know if it's taps or reveille. They won't know whether to charge or retreat. Why? Because I don't know how to communicate with a bugle. What's the point? Verse 9, so he says, also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. You come and talk to somebody in a foreign language, you might as well be just talking into the air. Verse 10, there are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no one kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. If I speak in tongues, speak in another language, speak in a foreign language, you don't know what that language is, then I might as well, Paul says, be a barbarian. That's an interesting word. It's uh, a, a term that the Greeks used. They referred to everybody who was not Greek as a barbarian. It's the Greek word barbaros, and it's, if you know your English, it's an, one of those uh, onomatopoeia words. Sounds like, means what it sounds like. It's the Greek word barbaros, and what they're saying is somebody who is foreign from Greek sounds like bar, 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 bar. And so he says, if you come and speak in a foreign language and there's no interpreter, then you sound like a barbarian. You're just making noise to us. It's unintelligible. And then he sums it up in verse 12 by saying, So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. You're so zealous for spiritual gifts, I wish that you were that zealous about the purpose of spiritual gifts. And what is the purpose of spiritual gifts? That you might edify and build up the body of Christ. Tongues doesn't do that because it can't edify others and it's unintelligible. And then the third reason it's a lesser gift in verses 13 to 19 is that tongues are emotional rather than mental. Verse 13, therefore let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. The gift of tongues is useless in the church, and the only way it gains any value is if there is the gift of interpretation to translate that language into the language of the hearers. Verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Here's a little more insight into this gift. When someone prays in a tongue, not going through their brain. It's going through their spirit. And again, they don't even know what they're saying. Verse 15, what is the outcome then? What's the conclusion? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. How do you do that? Well, if you're going to use the 
gift of tongues, then you only use the gift of tongues along with the gift of interpretation so that it is a gift that goes through the spirit and the mind to communicate. Or you don't use the gift of tongues at all in the context of the church. Verse 16, otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks since he does not know what you are saying? If you are communicating and giving thanks to God in a foreign language, I've been in Spanish churches. I studied Spanish three years. I can't understand anything except see and know. I know how to say no say so I can tell people I don't know. But I've said in Spanish churches, and they talk so fast, I don't know what's going on. And that's what he's saying here. You kind of look around and go, is he praying? I, you know, am I supposed to say amen now? I don't know what's going on. And that's what he's saying. You can be blessing God in a foreign language with a gift of tongues, but if you do that in the church, people aren't even going to know how to say amen. You know what amen means? It means so be it. I agree. You can't say amen to something if you don't even know what is said. Verse 17, for you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. You can be speaking in another language, genuinely pouring your heart out in thanksgiving to God, and the other person is not edified because they don't even know what you're saying. And so Paul says in verse 18, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. I speak in tongues, Paul says, more than any of you, and I'm thankful for that. But, verse 19, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. I'd rather speak just five words that communicate rather than 10,000 words in a foreign language. So what did we learn today? Paul, how would you rate tongues? Paul says it's a secondary gift. It's a lesser gift because tongues cannot edify others in the church. Tongues is unintelligible, and tongues is emotional rather than mental. It doesn't communicate, and it doesn't edify others. You say, well, what's it for then? You have to come back next week and find out. But as we close our service, I'm going to have the praise team come back. Because in this chapter, you know what he tells us? He, he talks about the lesser nature of tongues, but he also tells us that we are to praise God in an understandable way that we are to sing to God and worship him in an understandable way. Jesus said we are to worship in what? Spirit and in truth. Here Paul says we are to worship in the spirit and in our, in our mind. And so as we close our service, we're going to sing a couple praise songs together to the Lord. We're going to communicate to him. We're going to build each other up as we do that. We're going to say amen to our praise to God to, together as we worship him in a way that pleases God, let's worship him. Let's stand and worship him together as we close our time.